Hey, did you see that Janet made bail? What? Really? Isn't she a flight risk? You know, because of the way she flew out of the country to avoid prosecution? No, the laws that keep the proletariat in their place don't apply to Janet. She exists beyond good and evil. Well, I guess it's back to Tempjoy for all of us. Like a dog to vomit. <laughs> We have another very special episode of Pod 49, where we do more of our crew and cast interviews, this time with the champ, David Uri, who was one of our, on our very short list of guests that we had hoped to get and we were able to talk to, and wow, it was another, almost an hour conversation, which we really enjoyed. Jim, Bart, any thoughts about the conversation, musings? Things to get the listeners ready for this conversation. I thought that David Yuri was just as fun to talk to as you would expect from his character Champ, and uh, it was a wide-ranging conversation about the show and his career. And I uh, was very tickled to find that he's listened to all the episodes of Pod Forty Nine. Yeah, that was mind blowing. Yeah, I also thought we learned something very important, which is that you should, um, contrary to what most people say, you should give up on your dreams, especially if your dreams are to sell vintage clothing in Japan, um, because a great career <laughs> in acting could be awaiting you. So don't go for your dreams. Sometimes you need to get rid of your dreams. And also, I realized I forgot to say that, you know, as someone who owns a restaurant, I always have a spot in my kitchen for Champ. If ever the acting thing doesn't work out or Orbis or with Liz, please hit me up. Though I may not use you as a dishwasher, but instead maybe just as a life coach. And you have to stay in the character of champ and um, just tell me great anti-fascist salute songs and lyrics. And then that would be great. (laughs) All right. Here is our interview with David Urey, champ. Hello and welcome to... Pod 49, the uh, Lodge 49 fan conversation show, and recently doing more interviews. And so we are excited today to be joined by David Uri. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, I pronounce it Uri. Uri, but, okay. Uh, that, that, is, that is the way they pronounce it in Germany. So I'm not going to say that you're not pronouncing it correctly. Just oh, different from how I pronounce it. Yeah. Well, we will, we will tend to do it right. It is kind of a running bit on the show how often I butcher people's names. <laughs> I'm being consistent. I, as a fan of your show, I am aware <laughs> of that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, you have a that, large I, audience I, in Germany, though. So. Right, I got to write somewhere. Somewhere, it is. Else, it somewhere is. I was right. I realized when I went to Germany the first time that I'd been mispronouncing my own name for my entire life. Right, right. Well, that's the, that's the American mutt in all of us, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining the show. Of course, you played champ, and we are just beside ourselves with excitement to to be able to talk to you today. And and you're sort of, you know, one of our favorite characters on the show, and so it, it's a real thrill to be talking to you. Thank you. Well, I am a a big fan of the podcast, and I I really I have listened to all the episodes, and I always enjoy hearing the and discovering things that I missed watching the show when I hear you guys talk about it. Oh, well, that's, that's, right. that's super nice. Thank yeah. you. And you, we might have to get you to 
to admit on something that we were wildly off on if it ever if it pops up in our conversation because um, we do get yeah. out there sometimes. <laughs> we try um, our best. We try our best. So let's we've been as we've been doing these interviews, we'd love to start with just just tell us a little bit about your your journey to the lodge. How did you end up on this magical show? Uh, you know the traditional way. I I auditioned and um, it was. Jim and Peter and the casting director, uh, Deborah Zane and Dylan. Uh, and yeah, I just auditioned for it. And then I think it was about three weeks later, we were shooting. Yeah, it's really hard to imagine anybody else playing that role, especially at this point. Um, were they familiar with their work, with your work, because you did some stuff with AMC on Breaking Bad and stuff? You, you know, I really don't know. Um, I don't know, <laughs> and I've never asked, and I don't know if it was, I mean, my guess would be that it, it was the casting um, who who brought me in, but I, I really have no idea. I'll tell you one thing about it, that I I got, the, I auditioned with the, um, the scene in, I think it's uh, the fourth episode of, of uh, the first season where Connie is going to Orbis and I'm first shown as the security guard. Um, and she's looking for Gil who's on a bike. So that was all I knew about champ when I went to Atlanta. And the, the thing that I, I didn't understand at first was that it said in the character description that he was a dishwasher, but the scene that I auditioned with, he was a security guard. So I just thought, oh, they must have, like, changed that, like, somewhere between, you know, writing the breakdown for the character and the audition and actually finishing the script. I must have, you know, they must have turned him into a security guard instead of a dishwasher. So I had no idea until I started working on the show, really, who who Champ was, you know, exactly what uh, what the character did. One thing that all of us love is the camaraderie among the Shamrocks crew. So we have Champ, Gerson, Jeremy, and of course Liz. And that seemed to get even stronger during season two as, as they left Shamrocks and went into other settings. And I just wanted to ask, you know, was there that kind of natural chemistry between you guys when you first started working on season one? Yes. Uh, in fact, um, I, like in the past, week i've talked to both of those guys on the phone uh atkins lives in georgia and uh who plays gerson and daniel who plays jeremy lives in new york um but we're we're real friends just like in the show and we keep in touch and uh hang out every chance we get when we're when we're out there working together um and that was pretty immediate and uh and we often, you know, all of us uh, with Sonia and the gang will go out when we can after work. Um, so there's, and I'm sure that helped sell the, you know, the feeling of camaraderie on the on the show too. But yeah, that's that's real. <laughs> awesome. When we talked to Olivia um, Sandoval, she mentioned that she did a lot of hanging out with uh, Vic Sahay as well. And uh, very similar chemistry, I think, especially comedic chemistry that they have. Um, so yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, 
that's very cool to know that everybody, that people do hang out offset. Yeah, and you know we're uh, we're often in the hotels, staying in the hotels together, um, and so you know we'll get back from work, um, and we'll go out dinner, and we'll have drinks, and it's quite a tight knit group. One thing we've talked to a lot of the folks that worked on the show, and it's it's really apparent, you know, on social media and how much camaraderie and that friendship, that kind of lodginess of it all that that seeps through with all of the the cast and crew at least that's how it seems and that's what folks like yourself are explaining to us what is it just the proximity you've been on a you know a ton you have a uh imdb list a mile long is this what it normally is like on a set or is there something special about lodge 49 i mean there's definitely no there's i i definitely have friends that i made on every show that i've had you know uh that i've spent a fair amount of time on, but not like this show where, I mean, really in the past month, like I had a barbecue with a bunch of people from the show over last week. I, I went out with Vic and um, Alex who plays Leo. And I mean, I have not had that experience uh, in the past where, you know, we all just love to get together and to talk about the show and to talk about, you know, what else is going on in our lives. And, yeah, I would say it's pretty unique for me. What are the factors? Do you think that's just the, the culture that Jim and, and Peter have created, or do you, is it just something magical in the air? Is there anything you can put your finger on about why that's happened? I mean, I, the idea that you all are barbecuing and chatting about television is, is wonder, wonderful, considering that uh, the three of us have, have done that a good amount. So that's, that, <laughs> that's really um, cool us. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, we're all happy to be involved in the show. I think uh, one of the the great things about this show is that it employs a lot of character actors. And I think there's kind of a bond between character actors. So that might be part of, you know, we all have that in common. So maybe that's, you know, part of it. I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head about that. I hadn't really thought about that before. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Jim Gavin mentioned when we interviewed him that uh, Brent Jennings mentioned that this, that uh, Lodge 49 was like heaven for character actors. Is you know, and there was some discussion amongst us about whether or not the idea that a character actor um, is that something you embrace or is it? I don't. Yeah, like I don't want to step on any toes. Um, but certainly, I think sometimes if you refer to somebody as a character actor, it might imply a few things, but obviously, I don't know. Uh, it seems like good. my favorite um, actor is a character actor, so I don't know how that... Yeah, I I don't... Uh, I mean, it's certainly something that I embrace, yeah. You know, there's always work for character actors, so... <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we love about your, your character is that well, you did have such awesome one-liners, and they're always these kind of, you know, almost deep prof- professorial, you know, Bart likes to say that you, you basically, you know, a walking Karl Marx on the show. What, what yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's a written, written on the page, but what? Did, where did you kind of find that kind of madcap professor, truth sayer part of the character? Um, I mean, yeah, all that stuff is from the mind of, of Jim, but I just think of, 
Champ is a guy who who probably like uh, never went to college, but but does go like maybe he goes to like Cal State Long Beach and like sits in in classes, you know, and he has for years. Like I think he's a self-educated guy and has no interest in like diploma or any kind of decorum, but he loves to he loves to learn and educate himself. Um, and he also likes to educate others about the, uh, the end stages of capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. Often I, sometimes it it kind of seems also that like, um, champ is working almost 24 hours a day. So sometimes the things that come out of his mouth almost sound like he could be sleep deprived or, um, they're usually pretty brilliant, but they're also usually quotes from something or other, um, I like to right. Yeah, he says afterwards. Um, well, I have yeah. I have to. It has been an education for me because I often have to, you know, research to figure out what Champ is talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's always on the side of the revolutionaries. <laughs> yes, we need like a shit Champ says app or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my favorite champ moments was in the season when he's living in Orbis in that apartment, which isn't revealed yeah. at first. You're kind of like, oh, champ got a place. <laughs> and I just want to know what it was like filming that episode. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was that was super fun. Um, and uh, I think, what was that? Uh, that might have been episode five or six. And earlier on in the season, I remember Jim came up to me and he just said um, two words, champs housewarming, maybe three words. (laughs) Um, And I, I didn't know what that meant. And then, you know, it was, it was revealed. Um, Yeah. I mean, I love it. And, and, uh, Alicia, who directed that episode, I think just did a great job of of that reveal. And then the that megaphone bit, um, <laughs> you know, where he's calling to to Liz, Liz can't hear him uh, <laughs> because Champ's yelling across Orbis, saying like, "Do you want me to pick you up in the golf cart?" And then uh, Champ picks up that megaphone. I believe that that was that bit was added, um, like in the first draft I got. I don't think that bit was there, um, mm-hmm. and then that bit was was I think added later on, and that was one of my favorite moments. Yeah, for sure. Following up on that, because that's one of my favorite champ scenes of the year, and later on when you kind of get into it, you know, those you know the roving territorial gangs and whatnot. We, well, you yeah. listen, you probably heard us get a little bit kind of obsessed with what the governance, you know, what what's the uh, treatise of squatters in the Orbis building? Did you, did you or anybody else sort of talk about like more of the backstory about what is the heck is going on with that kind of almost like it was almost like the warriors or something with you know, these different gangs? Yeah, um, not I don't think so. I don't really remember having a discussion about about that um so it's sort of a mystery but then you know i have to warn uh blaze about it and at the end of the in the season finale because i think i say that it might spill over yeah the territorial disputes might spill over there so 
Yeah. It, it seems like Blaze is, I guess, been shacking up there for a bit. If that's what we're supposed to sort of understand. Yeah. Although he was living in his apothecary, um, and then Bud, of course, uh, I sort of equates the uh, pool shop to him. And right. And yeah. If he's if he going to shack up there like he was at the apothecary, or is he going to keep his room at the Orbis um, Waters Village? Yeah. I guess we're going to find out hopefully with a season three. Yeah, hopefully. Now, we mentioned a few minutes ago that you have been on just a ton of stuff. Um, we, you know, we, we were kind of, it was one of those things was, oh, yeah, I remember that character on Justified or, or oh, that's right, the uh, ATM head, head, uh, head split. Give yeah. us a little bit of, just give us a little bit about your career. It looks like you do comedy, you do character acting. Um, um, a little bit of, the, of how you got here. Yeah, well, I was a vintage clothing dealer and uh, in Olympia, Washington, and I sold clothes in Japan where I went to college, and I did that for seven years or eight years where I would go to thrift stores and garage sales and buy vintage clothes in uh, Portland and Washington State and sell them in Japan. And I was getting very burnt out of living in motels uh, around the Northwest buying stuff. And someone in Olympia asked me if I wanted to do an improvised weekly soap opera um, in a little theater there. And I had not really done acting since high school. Um, I did some like TV appearances when I lived in Japan, but they were not, they were like on variety shows. So I started doing that and I immediately was like, why have I not been doing this my whole life? And then someone told me, um, it was uh, Molly Harvey from a band called uh, The Residents came and stayed with me and told me about this improv class called The Groundlings in Los Angeles. And that I could go and do this like six week thing. So I thought, oh, I'll go do that. So I went down to Los Angeles to take this class and I kept my place in Olympia and had no intention of like staying in Los Angeles. But I, I, I did. I kept an apartment in Olympia for a couple of years while I lived, while I was in LA. And then, and then one thing led to another and I just never went back. That was 2001. So then I started doing improv here, you know, going through the various improv comedy training grounds, which were like the groundlings at the time, Improv Olympic West, Second City, those kind of places. And I did, you know, improv. Uh, I was in various improv groups that would perform around town. And that was how I started. It's that typical, you know, vintage clothing dealer in Japan yeah. <laughs> to character actor story that's kind of, you know, so hackneyed that it's sort of embarrassing for me to tell it, but nonetheless, <laughs> that's the truth. Right. We'll just edit that part out because it's just like, I mean, that's everybody's story. Yeah. So it's, not that interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I shouldn't have even, <laughs> yeah. I should have just said I was a child actor. 
<laughs> right. Might, I was the fourth kid on Family Ties or something. <laughs> yeah. Right after Jump the Shark. I was just going to say that when I, I said I hadn't done acting since high school, and I should be clear that the acting that I did in high school was one one act play where I was dead for almost <laughs> the entire thing, except I had one line, which was, I but mother. And then I, I died in, at sea, and then I lay, which was really good preparation for Breaking Bad. Like, I had to lay dead for, <laughs> for a, a good 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> the lines are slightly different, just you know, a little bit about a skank over and over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little bit different, but yeah, and, and no ATM, but still, you know. So how did you end up in Japan? I know we're going, I'm going back a little bit, but um, I'm, I'm very curious about that. What were you studying and how, how did that, was it something um, specific to Japan? Yeah. Or was it just in the travel? Well, I was in college at a place called Colorado College, and I didn't want to be there. Uh, I wanted to like travel and um, I, I, but I, I felt parental pressure to finish, to go to school. Um, and then I found that the school had an exchange program they had France, Spain, and Japan. And I thought, Oh, if I could do that, you know, I'd kind of be, I can travel and still appease, mm -hmm. uh, the parents. And so I did. So I figured I'll go to Japan since France and Spain seem like I figured a lot of people know how to speak French and Spanish, but not many people speak Japanese. So maybe that would be helpful in the future. And so do you speak yeah, Japanese? So I do. Yeah. It was uh, my, my day job for most of my, my first like 10 years here, I, I was a translator while I was starting out as an actor and I would translate manga, which are the Japanese comic, comic books, or graphic novels. Mm -hmm. So I probably translated 150 or so of those books over wow. the eight or 10 years that I was doing that. Well, that's a super cool job. Not, not a bad one to fall back on if uh, acting doesn't work out. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, at the um, time, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Oh, it was a great side gig uh, during that time. I think the market has kind of fallen out of what I used to do. Uh, it's like when the recession hit, it kind of ended that business. Um, yeah, because probably an app for so it now. <laughs> yeah, I think now most of that is like people just look at it online. Around the, the time that, that, was, that I could no longer really make a living at that uh i started to make a living as an actor so i was i was lucky timing wise wow if, if your story couldn't have gotten more cliched from uh, vintage clothes mm. to uh i know i know it's embarrassing <laughs> you know you probably inspired <laughs> millions of geeks and they don't even know who you are what are some of your greatest role hits that you've had and uh you know is it you know because you you know, you often are playing, you know, like the meth heads and the, the Oxycontin dealers. I'm just thinking just by Breaking Bad, but you've had a lot of those type of roles. Do you have any that were stand out for you for your favorites for whatever reason? 
Well, there's the uh, Champ and Spooge. Mm-hmm. Spooge is the character on Breaking Bad. And, I mean, you know, those are really, those are two of the big highlights. I um, One of my favorite jobs was this movie called uh, Cinderella Story, If the Shoe Fits, which is the third or fourth installment in a kid series of films. And we shot that in South Africa and I got to play like a kind of a YouTube sensation um, manager, like, or like, yeah, like road manager kind of talent manager guy, uh, which was super fun. And, and also like a kind of role that I don't get to play a lot in, you know, adult cured uh, shows. So that was a fun one. Is that based on people you had observed in uh, in the business? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just kind of uh, maybe more based on me. <laughs> Do you have any uh, up and coming like uh, YouTube stars that you're currently managing? Then? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that part. That part is, <laughs> but uh, personality wise. Yeah, but I am open to representing up-and-coming YouTube stars. So hey, who isn't? Right? <laughs> if anybody is listening, hey, they're on TikTok now. You got to move to TikTok. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, you've already mentioned um, how many great character actors are on Lodge Forty Nine, and there's the kind of separate worlds of the show that sometimes collide and sometimes interact. But I wanted to ask if there's any particular actors you haven't been able to do a scene with yet that you'd really want to? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. Let's see. You know, uh, well, I'm a big fan of Beautiful Jess. Yeah. (laughs) As we all are. (laughs) Uh, And of Bert. I can't remember if Bert came out when we were um, brawling with the pool party guys. I think... Just uh, Herman came out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Bird is sticking his neck out really for anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And technically, technically, I, I you know I did a scene with um, with uh, Ernie with the um, the funeral, but we didn't interact except for maybe a glance. But that would be nice too. Yeah, the two worlds on the show seem seemingly hardly ever collide. The uh, the Liz faction and the Bill yeah, faction. it's very seldom. Yeah, but actually, some of my favorites um, are when because Dud does. You had Dud has sort of been, you know, been around the the restaurant crew a couple times, and those are always some of my sure, favorites. Yeah. I love when Dud is mixing it up with with you all. That there was that great scene this year. I think when he. I think he's when you when you're doing the Phydra when she's selling the Phydra and he comes in yeah yeah a great long scene with all of you together that's one of my I love it when Dud's hanging out with sure you. and where uh, Jeremy gives him some marital advice yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah therapy um and I mean one of my favorite scenes to uh, shoot was uh, riding the golf cart with with Dud in season one. Um, at Orbis when Dud had a, I, I think Pemp Joy sent him to to Orbis 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys were on the security detail together. Right. So we had uh, we had one the one bit where I'm just kind of showing him the ropes and telling him about the, the decay of uh, capitalism, and then and then another I think it was a different episode where we're doing sort of the obstacle course as they launch the um, like various computers and appliances at us. Now, there's lots of reasons to to be hoping and, and wishing a season three into existence, but I could see uh, Champ doing uh, some shifts at the plumbing company with Ernie and Doug. That isn't beyond the realm of possibility either. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's not. And they do need a couple of, uh, uh, what did he say? Um, Knuckleheads, right? Like Knuckleheads, right. Knuckleheads. The order desk. And... Uh-huh. I mean, if Champ is in a knucklehead, then I don't know who is. <laughs> and you already have the slacks and the button-down shirt from your days uh, at Omni, so you're you're ready with the dress code. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe Champ and beautiful Jeff will ride together one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if Champ could make the cover of the flow. <laughs> <laughs> what you know, I feel like Champ. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go I was going to say Champ might even have some poetry that that he could uh, pitch to the flow as well. Right. Compete with uh, Brian Doyle Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe the uh, poetry slam at uh, Super Savers Plumbing. <laughs> yeah. So when these guys interviewed Olivia. She said that sometimes she had caught herself or maybe um, Sonia had, had pointed oh, out that yeah. she started talking like Janet in real life. Yeah, I listened. I just listened to that interview uh, <laughs> right. uh, today to see what I was in for. And it's yeah. funny because I thought, I thought about that when she said that. Mm-hmm. I thought about, oh, have I done that? <laughs> and I, I can remember one specific time on set um, while we, you know, we were in between a scene or something and someone was talking about buying water or like buying a, a pain to have like water delivered to your house or some kind of water system. And I was saying that you can't, you know, you can't own water, <laughs> water, <laughs> like water can, cannot be owned. It's an element, <laughs> and and that that's as champy as I've ever gotten. Yeah. I think. All right. Well, like most things with champ, I I completely agree with that. Um, there are people. I mean, not just buying water, but like they buying shares in water. I guess a friend of mine was mentioning that, and I I feel the same way. You know, water belongs to us all. Um, if you haven't seen Mad Max. I, I don't know what else to say to you. Right. You yeah. <laughs> I mean, so one, soon you probably will be able to own like air. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed on your uh, IMDb page, um, it was an episode on Young and the Breathless. And you mentioned that yeah. you did some like a uh, improv um, soap opera thing. Uh, and I, guess it was and I believe my character on the Young and the Restless was named Bert. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was. That's right. I did do that earlier. 
And I believe I, I, I kind of in, fascinating. That, like, being on a soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I imagine, well, I think they're kind of fascinating in general just as a thing, the fact that they, you know, film it every day and would have to have the story that, like, you know, repeated on regular. Yeah. Anyway, just the whole structure of them I find very interesting. What was that like? It was, uh, I believe I sold a baby in that <laughs> I found a baby I found a baby in a church I want to say and I was like and then we found this woman who was going to buy the baby from us Uh, I'll tell you the really cool thing about working on a soap like that that I don't know when Young and the Restless started but these shows have all been on for like decades and I remember reading the script the woman who buys the baby from me, it'll say in there, like, who fans, you know, long time, it says in the script, like, long time viewers will recognize this woman as someone who was on the show, like, 15 years ago. Like, they bring these characters back. Um, mm-hmm. And it may be tenuous to compare it with Lodge 49, but but that's one of the things that I love about, like, hey, there's Vape Guy is back. And, right, right. you know, and, uh, that they, that was, that was something that I thought was really cool, uh, when I worked on, on Young and the Restless. I actually also did, I don't think they, this is up on IMDb, but I did Days of Our Lives last year. Oh, yeah. Um, that was my second soap opera. And I played a, um, I played a motel manager or hotel manager um and that was a fun one too it's like when you do those shows it's like being a part of a big piece of of television history you know yeah and i have a lot of respect for those act like the the regular actors on those shows who who come in and have this you know monologues and stuff to learn like every day yeah it's challenging challenging job i'm just kind of curious about it because in the long run of you know getting roles as an actor i that to me if 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 i was an actor i would love to have had that on my resume as well somewhere i mean of course you know leading up to life you know it's fun to do all kinds of uh i've done you know i had a run on a disney kids show for a while like i said i did that that um cinderella movie I've done some Rob Zombie movies, so I've been I've been lucky to get a, a chance to work in all kinds of different genres and different, you know, all different types of uh, film like and television. The blessing of the character actor, right? There's all kinds of different. Roles. It is. It is. And and uh, the I was in a, a Rob Zombie movie that's the the sequel to um, The Devil's Rejects, which is one of his. Uh, uh, big movies and that's another um, a thing with w- working with Rob Zombie is it's all character actors mm-hmm. and it's another like fun place to hang out with a bunch of other guys and a lot of times it's like a bunch of guys that I have seen in audition rooms for 10 years but hadn't really known until I started working with them and so what do you got what do you have coming up what are uh, you looking well, for you to show up in over the next couple of months? Well, that movie, Three from Hell, just came out, uh, just finished 
I think it's playing in theaters and is out in DVD now. And then I've got, uh, there's a DC movie, Birds of Prey, which is Harley Quinn. Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. I have a little bit in that. That's fun. That's coming out next year. Miranda July, who did a movie called Me, You, and Everyone. Right. You know? uh, she's got a movie coming out called Kajillionaire that I have a, a little role in. Um, couple, and then Faith-Based, uh, a comedy is coming out next year that I have, that I got to do some fun, like, improv stuff in. Margaret Cho is in it, and uh, that's going to be a fun one. And then a couple TV things, a uh, Netflix show called Outer Banks and a Paramount show called uh, Paradise Lost coming out. All that's coming out next year, I think. Yeah, but that's a busy yeah. year. Yeah. And also, let me uh, tell you guys, if you haven't heard about Gerson Atkins, uh, mm-hmm. he's got a show coming out next year called Hightown on Stars, where he's going to have a really big role that I think is going to be totally different from from Gerson. So Lodge fans should check that out. Right. Very cool. We love connecting the dots. So what what are your uh, do you have any predictions about Lodge Forty uh, Nine Season Three or any inclinations? Most of my or... predictions are are about Season Seven, actually. Love <laughs> 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 to hear those too. <laughs> Champ is president. I mean, it's got to be Champ as Supreme Court Justice. Champ as uh, uh, head of the Inter- International Monetary Fund. Something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Um, gosh, I, I, here's my prediction. The Lodge 49 fans band together and hound AMC so much that there's simply no choice and they have to uh, renew the show for a third season. I did see some people on Twitter talking about that they, they don't want this to be like Twin Peaks where you get two seasons and then you wait 20 some years for the next installment yes yeah do you guys have predictions for season three well i i'm on record as saying that just knowing a little bit about how the economics of tv are changing and work that it doesn't do amc any good to have an unfinished narrative because they're just going to monetize it to the streaming services the hulus and the netflix of the world where especially with critical and and deep fandom buzz, it probably grows an audience over time and looks good in a in a library and probably gets you know grows in stature over time. So that it doesn't do them good to have damaged goods, which is a unfinished narrative. So my prediction is that they greenlight at least a season three, with the caveat that that Jim and Peter bring this story to the end or two seasons, whatever the the additional run is with the agreement that the show comes to some kind of conclusion or that people know that there is an end to it so that when it goes to the streaming services, the people are much more willing to sort of hit play on episode one if they know there's a there's an end to the story. If they just know it cuts off, then people are way less motivated right. to start. That's my that's my yeah. theory. Yeah. It's a good theory. Bart or Jim, do you have any? Uh, my predictions what are about, usually wildly inaccurate. Yeah. What about Story-wise, wow, that's just so tantalizing to even think about. 
Yeah, I'm not the greatest yeah. either at predictions. Um, Bart's always, always got a couple. I guess good ones. those will those you will come up in your next uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, the other issue I would make is it. I mean, do Jeremy Champ and Liz open up a restaurant of some sort, or maybe just even like a to go some sort of food to go kind of thing? I don't some know. It kind of seems like at the end that they're going to go into business. I mean, that's what they. Yeah, or maybe a rival plumbing supply company. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, they did. Uh, they definitely. We did leave off on that note with uh, with um, our advice from Ross. Right. Ross, that's right. Yes, Ross, who's played by um, Josh Joshua Brady. Yeah, Ross is a, is actually one of my favorite uh, kind of supporting guys who pops up. Yeah, yeah. The show has so many. I mean, Champ is my favorite, but it does it does like have. It just seems like every um, there's no role that's like not you know neatly tucked in and corners folded and just right. You know, like it's like they have a great vision for what they want out of. There's no scene where there's extraneous anything. It seems like there's the cliche that there are no small roles. Uh, mm-hmm. for actors but in this show they're really like every role has meaning you know every character uh which makes it a great place for actors to come and play for example the when blaze is buying the the lynx urine <laughs> well you guys named you guys named your episode of, for that on that line right which was I'm I'm not in this for the money, right? Was that the line? <laughs> yeah, she was great, and I I remember trying to find. She had such a deep part, and she was so good that I kind of got this impression that maybe she was like um, uh, some friend of the show somehow that they just gave a quick. Because at first I couldn't find her on the IMDb page listing for that episode, and I thought then I was like, oh, well, I wonder if she's like somebody's friend or she's like gaffer. Or I'm not sure. I didn't work. Part. She's on Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. She has a lot of that. That might be like a little mini prediction. If the if and when there's a season three, like that's a great. She's a great example of a character that pops back in because no one's just there to move a plot point along. And I love how you right. kind of made that connection to the soap operas. It's one thing that we've talked about over the the course of the season. Is it's just amazing how these actors you know kind of come the characters really come in and out of the story the vape guy is maybe one of the most perfect examples but they're really everywhere well and look at like one of my favorite scenes in the pilot was when dud is in his old apartment and beth and um beth and him and uh yeah her fiance and, and mr lang the um property agent who's, who's also in the season finale uh, who has a great scene in the season finale. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I thought, oh man, these, these guys are, this is just such a great scene where uh, they're reminiscing about homecoming. <laughs> Was it homecoming or prom? I forgot. But, yeah, uh, homecoming, I think. And I just thought, I, I love that scene so much. And then when I saw that they were coming back, in, you know, when it was a, it was one scene in that first episode. And when I saw that they were coming back in season two, I was so excited. And I was so excited to, to get to do a, a scene with uh, Britt, who plays Beth. Yeah. And I was just a big fan of that scene. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. 
That is a great scene. And we're, we're going to probably, we're working on talking to, to Brit here in the next couple of weeks. We're looking forward to that. Oh, good. That's a yeah. Great example of a character that like you could, you, you would assume you'd never see again. And then she's got right, like, exactly. a really important story arc in season two. Yeah. Yeah. And she has some great lines. I had a really good time watching in that episode where uh, she's having her, her bachelorette party, I guess. And she comes back into the, back of the kitchen with Liz mm -hmm. and I come in and do a shot with them and I get to just kind of, I just got to hang back there and watch that scene. Um, that was really fun to watch. And she has that one line where she's comparing Dud and Tim and says something like, Dud's tall, way taller <laughs> than Tim. <laughs> uh, like she just killed me with that line. <laughs> And then as soon as uh, Liz starts talking about herself, she's, like, instantly bored and, like, where's that champion? Right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's that about being brains in a jar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cartesian dream or something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah Cartesian cage. The Cartesian cage. That's, one, that's one of those things I had to, like, I had to research. Me too. Yeah, I yeah. looked it up immediately. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask, was just, you know, there's so many great props on the show, and the first thing that comes to mind is the El Confidente paintings, but there's so many other things like that, like, or like the pool supplies, I don't know, there's always, like, funny, interesting props around it. I was just wondering if you've ever gotten to take anything home offset um, as a oh, souvenir, uh, keepsake from the show. No, no, I, I certainly have not. And I think that might be something that's hard to do, because for most shows, like, because they may be reusing props, you know, they're, they like take pictures of everything and have it all categorized so that they could show it again in case it came up. So it'd have to be something that they had like multiple, you know, versions of to, to yeah. take. But uh, I really wanted some of like the um, higher stakes stuff, you know, I, I would have loved to have had some higher stakes or some shamrocks gear. They did. They did send uh, uh, me a nice Orbis T-shirt, so that's okay. cool. And I like a, a Dudley Pool Supply T-shirt, an Orbis T-shirt. I have a Lynx pen, so I have gotten some stuff, you know. All right. That I and I I have a I actually wear my Dudley Pool Supply shirt all the time, and I wear my I have a Lodge jacket that I wear all the time. Yeah, we got to get ourselves some more of that merch. I think I don't know. Yeah. We yeah. All right. So we're going to ask, a, since, you, since you brought it up at the beginning, we'll, we'll ask a, a going out question. So what insight about the show did you actually learn from listening to Pod 49? You <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I don't know that I can point to a specific thing. Um, oh, I'll tell you one thing. I never really noticed or like it just didn't register with me that blaze says scott <laughs> so you guys you know <laughs> so there there really have been a lot of things but i but that that's the one that immediately comes to mind there have been a lot of little things though where i'm like oh, i didn't realize that but then i and then i also noticed after you guys kind of made me aware of that that um l marvin metz does it too yeah you know, he kind of takes Blaze's pronunciation one time and says Scott when he's uh, 
I forgot what the context. I think what he's explaining. He's voicing Blaze's uh, concern about eating local food, and it kind of like gets under his skin. And yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Like, did Paul Giamatti was he as a producer? Was he watching it and picking up how Blaze is saying scat? Because it, it sounds like he's kind of imitating that in some ways. Right, and it would make sense. He would have probably heard a lot about Scott from Blaze. That's, mm-hmm. that's true. That's so, true. so yeah, that worked uh, out nicely the way Chris pointed it out when it came back on the show that way. Yeah, and I, I love uh, Lamar's total like disdain for Scott. Scott comes off as like totally obnoxious to Blaze, to Blaze, and it kind of re- it, it's the thing that rehabilitates their relationship to a degree. I love that that how that all plays out. That's funny. Yeah, I've been trying to get the hashtag F-K-A-A-T to, to trend on Twitter, so we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, David, thank you so much. This was – you were on the – when we started this podcast and we were like, this is going to be, you know, we're going to be recording this and it'll be fun. And the couple friends of ours that watch the show will will listen and it'll it'll be a, a lark. And then it started to have a life of its own and we had I, we reached out to AMC and – and getting you booked as a guest was on the, the very top of our, our list. So this is a uh, pod goal checked off. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And, you know, I mean, I I really appreciate what you guys do. And I really I, – I look forward to – I check. And I'm like, oh, it's not up yet. It's not up yet. Wow. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> so, yeah. So thanks for what you guys do. Our goal is that mm-hmm. it, Thursdays is our release day, and as long as it's up by – uh, it's still Thursday in Long Beach is our is our true deadline. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you guys are in New York, is that right? Yes, we're yeah. we're all three okay. in New Right. So you have till uh, two fifty nine a.m. Friday. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. Exactly. Well, thanks again, David, and we look forward to we look forward to more Champ. That's how we're leaving it. So we're looking yeah. forward to more Champ in twenty twenty. All right. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to more Pod 49.